you, Kyle. Kyle indulged me this week. I very rarely uh, request a song, but uh, for today's sermon, I needed this song. It's called Confident by Stephanie Gretzinger. I listen to it on repeat regularly. Um, and you'll see why in a little bit. Today, we are in uh, Genesis studying the life of Jacob today. We've gone through Abraham and um, Isaac and Noah, and today we are on Jacob. And we are going to be in chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. Here's what the scripture says. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, and it was top was reaching the heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord your God, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying." Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed because of you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate to heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he placed it under his, that he placed under his head, and he set it as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I can return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all of that, all that you have given me, of all that you have given me, I will give a tenth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I don't know about you, but I have tried to make it uh, a practice not to watch the news. Uh, because honestly, you turn on the news and it doesn't matter what channel you're watching. You could be watching local news. You could be watching the left-leaning news. You could be watching the right-leaning news. You could be watching the plain old crazy news. And it's all bad, right? None of it's good. And there's always a spin. And the spin's never a happy spin. The spin is just bad. So I don't watch the news. I get informed what's happening through a few things so that I know what is happening in the world, but they're just keeping me informed. Joe is one of those information sources because Joe watches the news. That's his problem, not mine. But <laughs> he's a good guy. Part of the problem with the news is that when you watch the news and the way it's displayed, it's so easy to look at what you're seeing and to wonder, where in the world is God in all of this? You look at what's happening in the Ukraine and you think, where in the world is God in all of this? 
And then you know that Ukraine's not the only country in the world experiencing war right now. You know that it's happening in Africa, and you know that it's happening in the Middle East, and you know that people are suffering and struggling throughout the world. And we're left to struggle and to wonder, where in the world is God in all of this? One of the reasons why I had Kyle play Confident this morning was because that's the song that I listen to literally on repeat from the moment I leave my house to the moment I get to a funeral. In my profession, I probably have the privilege, and it is a privilege, to get to be with people through the hardest times of their lives, more than most of you will get to. And walking with people through that season of life whether the person died of old age or whether it was sudden and just unexpected. It's always difficult. It's always hard. And a lot of times you struggle to find and to wonder, where is God in this pain? And I listen to that song because as I'm driving, I'm reminded, I'm reminded that God is always going before us that God is always working in the unknown, that God is with us, and that my job, my job, your job, is to stay confident, confident in the belief that God is God, that God is who he says God is, and that God is going to do what God says God's going to do, that God's going to follow through. But I don't think a lot of us really live in that confidence. We may have that belief lingering inside us somewhere, but I don't know that we live into that confidence of knowing with everything that we are that God is with us and that God is good. What we see happening with Jacob and the story of Jacob here in Genesis is Jacob not believing is Jacob struggling with confidence? Is Jacob being very human? And that's what I love about the Old Testament. There are people who want to ignore the Old Testament, who find all of these really difficult stories, because let's be honest, they're difficult narratives. But the thing that I find so encouraging about every single one of them is that they have humans in them that I can relate to. Because their feelings and their behaviors and their actions are all feelings and behaviors and actions that I have been through, I have gone through, or I've seen a friend go through. And Jacob is no different. Jacob in this story, in this narrative, is the son of Isaac. Last week we talked about Abraham and Isaac. We talked about how Abraham was 100 years old before he had Isaac. But we talked about how Abraham was asked by God to sacrifice Isaac on the altar, but we didn't talk about Isaac, about what it must have felt like to be him in that space and time. And maybe next time I preach on that, on that piece of scripture, that's where we'll go to. But today we're going to talk about Isaac's son, because he had two, he had twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau, as twins, were born on the same day. But you have to remember that in this culture, in this world, birth order is ridiculously important. I don't know if I can stress enough how important birth order is. Today, we just kind of go, oh, you're first, oh, you're second. We don't put much into it. But in this day and time, in this culture, birth order meant everything. 
And Esau was the first one to be born. And Jacob, the name actually means grasping the heel. That's what it means. And that's how he was born. He was born grasping the heel of Esau as he came out. It also means deceiver. It means one who's not so honest. And that's what you find if you look a little bit before we get to chapter 28. What you find is that Jacob is not the most honest guy. He goes about getting what he wants without much thought into doing it in a way that's honest and godly. You see, Jacob, by the time we find him here in chapter 28, he has stolen the blessing and the birthright of his older brother Esau. His mother, Rebecca, well, guess what? We say that parents don't have favorites. You're a parent, right? You've said that to your children. You said, we don't have favorites. No, we love you all the same. Well, in Scripture... You see evidence, evidence that parents have favorites. And Rebecca, the mother, loved Jacob the most, her favorite. Isaac, the father, loved Esau the most. Esau loved to be outside, loved to be hunting, loved, was just like his dad. But Jacob stayed home, was kind of more around the house more often, and they had a good relationship. So when Rebecca found out that Isaac was getting ready to give the blessing, the final blessing to Esau, she And Jacob concocted this whole scheme where he put on furry, because Jacob's eyes were, or Isaac's eyes were not working so well, so Jacob put on some furry um, clothing because his brother was hairier than he was. And he made a stew, and he made himself smell like his brother, so that when he went into his his father's room to get the blessing, he looked and felt like his brother. And he got and stole, really, not got, stole his brother's blessing. And when we see him here in chapter 28, where we see him is he's running away. He's gotten the blessing. He's achieved everything he wanted. He got all of the birthright, but he can't do anything with it right now because his brother's so stinking mad he wants to kill him. So he's run away. His parents told him to run away because they knew that Esau needed time before things were going to be right again. So he's left town. He's on the lamb. And this is where we find him in chapter 28. And in this chapter, we see that he is in Haran, which is a place that is desolate. It's a desert. There's nothing good about it there. It's not a beautiful rainforest. It's not a um, beach on the sea. It is not something that is lovely and good and profitable. It is a desert land. And he wants to lay down and go to sleep. And the fool that he is, honestly, he gets a rock. I would rather just lay on the dirt. I don't know about you. But he gets a rock, and he puts the rock down, and he goes to sleep. And while he's sleeping, he has a prayer. He has a dream. And in this dream, he sees a ladder that reaches from earth into heaven. And he sees angels ascending and descending this ladder. And when he looks to the top of the ladder, he sees God standing there. And as he looks to God, God says to him very clearly, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and of Isaac. And I will give to you and your descendants, and he lists all of these things he's going to give them, basically reinstating the covenant, the promise that he made to Abraham and Isaac. He's now making it to Jacob, a man who had sinned, a man who stole his, son, his brother's birthright, a man who is a lot like you and I, who don't want to do things on the straight and narrow. We're going to make it happen however we have to, right? He also says to Jacob, 
I am with you. I'm going to watch over you. And I am not going to leave you. I'm with you. I'm going to watch over you. And I will not leave you. And then Jacob wakes up from his sleep. The best part of the whole thing cracks me up. And he says, oh, surely the presence of the Lord exists here. How awesome this place is. How awesome this place is. This must be the church of God, the house of God, the gate to heaven. You see, Jacob wakes up from the stream having experienced God really for the first time in his life. He grew up, had to have grown up in the faith because his father was Isaac, whose father was Abraham, who had this promise from God. He's been raised by these parents all of these years. He knows who God is, but I'm guessing that a lot like us, at his 40 years of age, he really hasn't had much personal experience with God. He hasn't had an intimate relationship with God. He hasn't talked to God himself. He hasn't made any offerings to God himself. He hasn't made any inroads to building a relationship with God. So now that he's had his first encounter with God ever, he thinks it's because he's in this de desert barren area. He thinks it's this place. Surely it's this place that God resides. This is why I saw God. This is the house of God, the gate of heaven. But what Jacob does not realize, what Jacob does not understand, what you and I forget many days of our lives, is that it's not the place. God does not reside in this church. You don't need to come here on Sunday to experience the presence of God. What Jacob is forgetting in this moment is that the presence of God is with us every moment of every day of our lives. The presence of God had always been with Jacob. Always. The presence of God was with him when he was born. The presence of God was with him when he was a child. The presence of God was with him when he was stealing his birthright from his brother. And the presence of God is with him now. And what we need to understand from Jacob's story is that it's not a place where we experience God's presence. God just made himself known in this moment because Jacob was not seeing it. Jacob had his eyes closed. Jacob had his ears closed. Jacob was not open to hearing what God had for him in this moment. They're going to a play. Don't worry about it. They're going to have fun. Have fun, guys. <laughs> you guys should all do that. Pick some kids and love on them. He wasn't open to hearing about the presence of God, to experiencing the presence of God. And in my life, I have gone through seasons where I am in totally without question. I know that God is with me everywhere I go. I can feel God, whether it's good or bad. And then there's times when I find myself so bereft of the presence of God, where I feel so far from the presence of God, it hurts. But that feeling doesn't mean that God's not with me. It means that I'm not with God. It means that I am not open. It means that I am closed off. It means that I am distracted. It means that something in my life is closing off that gateway, that portal, that connection, portal, that I have with God. But God never leaves us. God never leaves me. God never left Jacob. 
God is always present with us in every moment of every day. It's hard sometimes to live in that understanding. It's hard sometimes to be confident of the knowledge that God is with us. But that's what we're called to do. Jacob does something very interesting, something that I also think is very relatable. Jacob has this experience, says, oh, the presence of the Lord is here. Then he says, okay, if, if, you know where this is going. If God will be with me, if God will watch over me on this journey, if God will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, if God helps me return safely to this place, then, then the Lord will be my God. Right? If God does all the things I want God to do, then he can be my God. Simple as that. And I think a lot of us, even when we have deep experiences with God, because that's what Jacob just had. Jacob just had an experience that you and I would pay for. Still, coming out of that experience, his humanity is bubbling up outside of him. And he is strained by it because he's saying, well, God, if you show up like I want you to show up, if you provide like I want you to provide, if you heal like I want you to heal, then you'll be my God. Then I'll believe. Then I'll be confident. But we live in this world. We live in this world, and this world is not that. This world is full of brokenness. This world, you and I are subject to cancer that we didn't cause. In this world, you and I are subject to accidents that we didn't cause and provide bodily harm to our loved ones, to ourselves. In this world, we're subject to illnesses that ail us, that make every day incredibly difficult for us or somebody that we love. In this world, people are broken. So marriages become broken, and families become broken, and relationships become broken. And if we have a list of things that God must do in order to prove God's worthiness, we're never going to experience the presence of God that is right here already with us. We must simply learn to flex our muscles and be confident. And I say flex our muscles because it takes muscle memory. It takes practice to see the presence of God when things are all upside down. It takes faith, and that faith takes building. We have to practice it. We have to practice praying. We have to practice being in the presence of God, seeking the presence of God. We have to practice solitude. We have to practice community, being here together, being out there with others. And as we practice those things, as we pray, as we're out there, as we're with others, as we're in solitude, we learn our muscles get bigger and our confidence, our confidence grows. So that we can say in the middle of whatever is happening in our lives, I am confident. Even though it feels awful right now, I am confident that I'm not alone and that God is with me. In 2015, I was in um, a pretty significant car accident. I was turning at a light, and a car came through. A red, they ran a red light. 
They were in an SUV, I was in a little car, and they hit me right in the driver's side door. And I don't remember a lot about those moments. But the next few years were significantly changed for me and my family. My language, it was really hard for me to put sentences together, to get words out of my mouth. I had to quit work for a year. I had to quit school for a year. Joe had to learn how to do all sorts of things he'd never done in our house before. Because I could not do them anymore. And I'm going to tell you, that man did them all and never, ever, not once complained. I did. He didn't. Learning how to be a person with a brain that doesn't work the way that it used to was almost the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And still today, even though it's been, I don't know, six, seven years, I still have lingering effects from that accident. In the beginning, I had migraines every day. Now I have them eh, maybe half the month. But it's because of one moment in time when a mama turned around to say something to her kids, which I've done a thousand times, by the way, and innocently ran a red light. Wasn't done out of malice, wasn't done to be mean, wasn't evil. We are subject to accidents in our life. And I was on my way to write my sermon for that week, to do something holy and good for God. And my whole life turned upside down. And in those years, I'll tell you, there were times when I felt like God was not with me. I could not feel the presence of God because I was so broken and I was so angry and I was so hurting because I wasn't the person that I was before and I realized I was never, ever going to be the person that I was before. And I remember saying one time, thinking, God, where are you in this? Because I don't see good in this. You know, we're promised that God will make all things good. And I know that God did not create this accident, but I know that God, now I know, that God is working for good through that accident. And as I struggled in that moment, God reminded me of something that I have forgotten. You see, on that day, right after the accident happened, I was knocked out for a period of time. The one thing I remember before getting to the hospital, the one thing I remember is waking up and there was a man, Joe told me last time I didn't make it clear in first service, um, a physical man, a human being, not an angel, um, was sitting in the car next to me, a young man, praying over me. That's all I remember. And God reminded me that God was not only with me in that moment, but God was with me in that accident. God never left my side. God never left me alone. God never left me to fend for myself. God drew a community of people. We found out later that somebody else showed up to the accident and they knew who I was. So they could call, because they couldn't find my information apparently. So they could call my husband, tell him where I was. God never left me. And that's the same for you. 
We must learn to be confident. We must learn to flex our faith muscles. We must learn to truly believe that God is always with us, that the presence of the Lord does not reside in a building or in a rock or in Bethel. The presence of the God resides inside of us and is always here waiting, waiting for us to say hello. Our job is to flex those muscles. Our job is to practice so that when life gets really hard, because it's gonna, we can remain confident that God's faithfulness will see us through. Let us pray. God, Jacob had a hard time understanding where you were leading him. And God, we have that same difficulty. We get distracted by things in our lives. Jacob was distracted by running away. Jacob was distracted by trying to steal a birthright. We get distracted by trying to provide for our families, having jobs and doing work and having our families. But God, you are never distracted. You are always here. You are always present. God, help us to learn to flex our faith muscles so that we can stand confident, certain and sure that your presence will always watch over us, that your presence will always care for us, and that your presence will never leave us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.